It is our fifth Sunday uh, of the month, so our kids are with us. We're glad to have them worship with us, and uh, thanks to those kids who gave us a little insight in what they think heaven looks and feels like. Uh, This is really the end of our our series uh, from the book of Revelation. Next week is Pentecost Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to link them together. They'll they'll go together hand in hand, but uh, today I want to read for you this final portion of Scripture from the book of Revelation It's Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 22, but then it goes into chapter 22 and ends with verse 5. You'll see it on the screen. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And into chapter 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. In this series from Revelation, we've kind of settled on this one main idea. It's it's really the vision of, God's vision, this one vision from Revelation, and it's this. Revelation is an invitation to us, for you and I, the body of Christ, to participate in the inbreaking hope of God's new creation. It's an invitation for you and I to participate in the inbreaking hope of God's new creation. So as we kind of take in this short journey together, we've come to understand a few things Uh, First of all, God's not just getting people ready to go to heaven. Uh, He's about a lot more than that. That's really important, and anytime we ever stop trying to help people make a commitment to Christ, we're in trouble. But God is doing more than just making sure your ticket's stamped, so you got some place to go after you die, okay? He's not just getting people ready for heaven. He's doing that, but God's invitation to the people of God is to be a part of bringing heaven to earth living out what that might look like. Now, some of that, we, we looked at this as informed by how we worship. A few weeks ago, uh, we talked about worship. We talked about the fact that there's a lamb on the throne, and really that means there's no other room for us on that throne. <laughs> and, and our worship gets distorted when somehow we believe that what we're doing here is about me or about you. It's about him and who we are in him. That directs our worship. Uh, when we take ourselves off the throne, make sure Jesus is the one receiving the worship in our lives. We've also seen that a church, and, and Pastor Ben did a fantastic job with this, 
you know, Revelation speaks of a mark of the beast, but we're also challenged then to have the mark of the lamb upon us. What are the marks of the lamb for, for you and I and the church as a whole? And uh, we shared through some of that. Uh, the church reveals hope when it worships, when it serves, when it lives for others, when it, even when it repents. The church is embodying what it needs to, the mark of the lamb. So last week, what we did was we kind of allowed ourselves to bask in the hope of what is to come. Uh, the week before, there was a shooting in Buffalo. And uh, there was another shooting at, at, a, at a church, I believe. And then, of course, this last week happened. So today, uh, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> I really struggled with this sermon. Last week, uh, we talked about how hope is greater than fear, and I told you that I struggle with hope. I do. I struggle with hope. It's one of those things that I have to continuously remind myself that God is giving to me on a consistent basis. He wants me to have hope. And I have a lot of reasons to hope. Um, Today, we take a step closer to the fuller picture of what that looks like. It's a picture of heaven. A picture of heaven. So again, the kids are worshiping with us. I thought it'd be kind of cute to get their ideas of what heaven looked like and what heaven felt like. My favorite line in there is, it will be so cool. (laughs) Uh, I mean, if you want to know what things really might truly be like, ask a child, I think. Uh, You get kind of a a pure picture of what that looks like. And so I had asked Courtney, our our kids director, to... to, um, contact some parents, and we started collecting those, and then I got that news. Uh, the families were shattered, community, a nation, uh, reeling again. Uh, there's no change, just blame, one direction or another. Um, and that news, as I was looking at these statements from these children, um, those, those statements from our kids started hitting me just a little bit differently. In their words, I I heard words about gardens, butterflies, beauty, uh, peace, joy, happiness, smiles, warmth, light. I don't know about you. I'm of the persuasion that children probably should get to experience some of that here on earth. Here on earth, here and now. Uh, What we see in the passages that I just read actually began with the creation narrative at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, in a garden. But it ends in a garden city, a garden city. The reign of God that's inaugurated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, seen throughout the New Testament, has finally in its culmination arrived, a new heaven and a new earth, death replaced with life, insecurity and fear, replaced with peace, replaced with joy. There's a theologian, N.T. Wright, you've heard me quote him quite a bit. The marriage of heaven and earth, this is what he calls this. This is the marriage of heaven and earth. The final answer to the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. That's what this is. It's not just a vision of heaven but a current and coming reality. God's perpetual presence with his people. 
We see in the scripture, this particular section of scripture, two metaphors specifically, one of those being light. Now, before we get to that, the popular way to interpret really 21 and 22 in the book of Revelation is, hey, you want to know what heaven's like? This is it. This is it. That's, that's a very common thing. So hence me asking the kids for examples of what, is, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Uh, you often hear, particularly what I read last week from Revelation 21, the beginning of the chapter, the first six verses, you often hear that read at a funeral. Uh, in fact, at my own mother's funeral, I quoted that verse. And, uh, and it's understandable why we would do that. It's appropriate. There is coming a day where there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. The old is gone, the new has come. He will wipe every tear from their eyes because he's making everything new. It's an amazing funeral passage. But there's so much more going on in Revelation 21 than just a picture of what will be. Okay. What will be. The deeper meaning is in how Jesus' vision actually proclaims the triumph of God, not just for the future, but right now. Like the triumph of God right here and right now. And I know, I know in the midst of as you're watching things play out on the news and you're thinking, good grief. I mean, what the heck? How bad can something get? And you start wondering, okay, where is God in all of this? And you look at these things play out. This is a here and now thing. God has triumph. Now, listen closely. That first metaphor of light, I think, gives us a clue in what this looks like. And there's, he says it multiple times in the passage, but in this one particularly, he says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, darkness is seen as a negative metaphor. It's a metaphor for lack. It's a meta metaphor for poverty, injustice. It's a metaphor for sin, corruption, blindness. Ultimately, its greatest use is a metaphor for death. Darkness equates to death. In the new creation, darkness doesn't exist. You and I can't picture that. It is not in our capacity to understand that or to see that. In contrast to Genesis, that's, that's kind of where we go, where God spoke and light separated from darkness. Darkness was still here, but light was separated from darkness. But in the new creation, God doesn't just separate light from darkness. There is no darkness. There is no death. There is no shadow. Now, given the state of the world that we live in today, Honestly, my, my mind goes to that first Genesis creation narrative that God is separating the darkness from the light. Think about your own life. I mean, when the darkness starts to creep in, aren't you just waiting for somebody just to at least hold it at bay? Don't you want somebody to come into your life or some circumstance to change so that the darkness will just leave you alone for a while so that you can like get, catch a breath, so that you can get some recovery under your belt, so that you can start doing some of the things that you need to do? Can the darkness just be pushed to the side just a little bit? Think about that. The idea of God pushing the darkness to the side, to me, sounds pretty good. And I think that's our strategy. If we can just keep the darkness at bay in our government, in our families, in our community, if we can just do all the things that will keep darkness 
pushed out of the way. But God is doing something more. He is doing something more. There is coming a day with literally no darkness. It just doesn't exist. Only light. No death. Just life. Just life. About 25 years ago, um, I was a part of a, a community choir. We were living in Ankeny, Iowa, just north of Des Moines, and I was in the, a community choir one year, and I was introduced to a song by a man named Kurt Bester. And some of you have probably heard this song before. It was the first time I ever heard it was when we began rehearsing it. It's called The Prayer of the Children. And I remember 25 years ago, as we were rehearsing this song, thinking, holy moly, this is a powerful song. I mean, it is just, it's, it's a gut-wrenching, at the same time, beautiful song. And um, little did I know that in a way it would become kind of an aftermath, or it would become an anthem uh, in the aftermath of school shootings over the next 25 years. Um, I was reminded of it again this week, and I want to share the words, the lyrics with you. I'm not going to sing it. Um, specifically in regards to what we talk about today, which is light. So I want you to think about these words in relation to the issue of light. Here they are. Can you hear the prayer of the children on bended knee in the shadow of an unknown room? Empty eyes with no more tears to cry, turning heavenward toward the light. Crying, Jesus help me to see the morning light of one more day. But if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The second verse is, can you feel the heart of the children aching for home? Something of their very own. Reaching hands with nothing to hold on to, but hope for a better day. A better day. Crying, Jesus, help me to feel the love again in my own land. But if unknown roads lead away from home, give me loving arms away from harm. And then the last verse. Can you hear the voice of the children softly pleading for silence in a shattered world? Angry guns preach a gospel full of hate, blood of the innocent on their hands. Crying, Jesus, help me to feel the sun again upon my face. For when darkness clears, I know you're near, bringing peace again. There's a line in there, turning heavenward toward the light. More on that in a second. Because there's another picture in this passage. There's light, but then there's also a tree. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden at the beginning, Genesis, uh, really marked the beginning of brokenness. It, it, it's a representation 
uh, and, and a symbol of the entrance of darkness and brokenness and separation from sin. Here in Revelation, the tree is a, sim- a, a symbol of total redemption. Total, unadulterated redemption. Look, it says, it says it's rooted at the river of life. This tree's never going to die. It's rooted at the river of life, and it produces fruit 12 months out of the year. It never stops producing. In the new creation, there is always enough. There is always plenty. There is never a worry about what will I have tomorrow. There's never a fear that you'll lose out. Rooted in the river of life, no more lack, no more want, no more need. So you've got no more lack, no more want, no more need. You've got no more darkness, only plenty, only enough, only light, only him. All of humanity, united as one, everything as it should be. People from every tribe and tongue and nation. When darkness clears, I know you're near bringing peace again. Bringing peace. A people finally living as one with God, with one another, and with all creation. So what does heaven look like? What does heaven feel like? Can I tell you what I think heaven feels like? And what heaven looks like? I think it looks like and feels like summer. Summer. So hang with me here. Luke chapter 21, verses 29 through 31 says this. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. The summer. I want you to think with me, imagine for a moment, a perfect, summer. I think we're all ready for one, aren't we? <laughs> a perfect summer. The death associated with winter, that's, you can't even, that's a distant memory. You don't even want to entertain it. Summer is fruitful. It's abundant. Shelly and I lived in Iowa for 10 years. Um, those last couple of years, uh, we lived in a more agrarian section of Iowa, southeast Iowa, and uh, literally our street was the last street in town before it was just cornfields and woods and rivers and valleys and hills and all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you ever wanted to like see a painting or a picture of the quintessential Iowa, you know, is this heaven? No, this is Iowa. This, that, that's, the, that's the picture. And we got to live that for about two and a half years. In those last, uh, those, those two summers that we, we spent there, in, in southeast Iowa, it is really, really hard for me to not look back on those with like an ache. Like, I loved those summers. Our boys were three, four, and six, and then the next summer they were four, five, and seven. And life was so much easier. And I know if you have a young child right now, you're thinking, excuse me? Seriously, it just gets harder. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> and more expensive, too. <laughs> um, but I, we had hobbies. We actually had hobbies. We, we spent long days just outside 
you're eating all the time this great food. Every field around you, the farmer's market, everything is just pregnant with abundance. And Iowa is so fruitful that from space, it, you can see its own biodome around it because it creates its own atmosphere. There's so much production. There's so much plenty. And I remember, you know, laying in the grass with my boys, feeling like we didn't really have a care in the world. I was not a lead pastor in that moment. I was an associate pastor. Our associate pastor works a whole lot harder than I did back then, just so you know. But uh, we, it was just this gentle time of enjoying family, enjoying abundance, enjoying peace, and, and chasing light, right? It reminds me of those first days after school lets out for the school year, kind of like where we are right now. Okay, those first few of the teachers are like, yes, summer is heaven. No, <laughs> Uh, but, but as a kid, weren't you as a kid, man? I, I would do everything I could to make the day last longer. You're out there running around in the street. Mom yells, it's time to come in. It's still light out. Why? You want to all summer long run headlong into the light. You don't want to miss a single moment of any of that. To me, the Bible describes the kingdom of heaven as a banquet a homecoming, a reunion. It also describes the kingdom of heaven as a true Sabbath, where you can just rest. Rest. Endless summer. In winter, life and plenty seem remote, but in summer, life is everywhere. It's the new creation. And you and I know, in, the, in our summers, we maybe get a taste. Storms still come, don't they? In our summers. What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us right now, here and now? The message of Revelation is that this loving, this liberating, this life-giving lamb who is Lord invites anybody to be his disciple. And in doing so, you inherit a place in God's new creation. Peace, hope, presence, rest. And yet, that picture is not just a someday reality. That's not what Jesus taught the disciples to pray. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Revelation is our invitation to bring some of that summer hope and peace into a sometimes hostile and dark and cold winter. That's our job. Revelation shows us that we are not just people of the kingdom of heaven. We are people of the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's who we are. We are not just citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven right now on earth. It's not an escape plan for Christians. That's not what the book of Revelation is. Where one day God just, oh man, they prayed a prayer one day. Snatch them right out. We're going to save them. 
okay? That's not what this is about. At the same time, it's also easy to swing too far in the other direction and reduce kind of the picture of Revelation 21 and 22 uh, as something that you and I somehow usher in through our own efforts or through our own strength by engaging in all kinds of different activity. Is it possible that somewhere between be ready so you can escape this world and get to work and create a utopia on earth, is it possible there's like a middle way? And so what I want to do is I I just want to share with you one word, one word, and it's inferred in this passage, and it's the word witness. In Revelation, if, if Revelation is God's invitation to participate in his new creation, he is bringing forth, then the call is this. We are to bear witness. We bear witness in both word and deed by demonstrating alternative ways of life that reflect both the present and the future reign of God. It's a long sentence. I'm going to read it again. Bear witness. That's our call. To bear witness in both word and deed by demonstrating alternative ways of life that reflect both the present and future reign of God. So when our world is screaming to us, Here's the right thing to do, or here's the wrong thing to do. We as the body of Christ, we as the people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven on earth, we step back because our minds have been transformed. We no longer conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds by Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the very, very first question isn't what is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. The question is, what's the Jesus thing to do? Holy cow, would that not screw us all up so much if we asked that question? What's the Jesus thing to do? In the midst of what you see going on in the world today, Do you get your pattern in your... I mean, what if Jesus was actually serious about some of the things he said in Scripture? What would that do to some of our narratives, our affiliations, our allegiances? Do our actions, do your actions specifically, your witness to the world around you, give people a glimpse of light or life The church is to live in such a way, and you are the church, I'm the church, to live in such a way that the answer to the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, kind of starts happening in us and through us. Do our actions reveal light in the dark places? Do our lives alleviate? Do do the choices that, that Rich Doring, do I make choices that actually alleviate the suffering of others. Provide where there's lack. In a nutshell, do we look and act like Jesus? How we live our lives, the decisions that we make, the attitudes that we bring have implications here and now. What does that light and life look like here and now? As we close, Hannah is going to come, and uh, I've asked her to share a very specific song because we need more heaven on earth. Amen? I don't solicit amens very often, but we need more heaven 
on earth. Now, maybe that begins when God's people don't look through eyes that are dulled by the kingdom of this world, but instead through the eyes of one who gave everything, including his life, to give us life, to give us light. More than our thoughts and prayers, here and now means that maybe, maybe we start offering our voice, our wills, our hands. What if we offered our own lives to be the new creation that God is bringing about? All for the sake of our neighbors here and now. Would you pray with me? Father, the world that we live in is not what you envisioned when you said it is good. And so Jesus, would you show us how to be a part of the inbreaking hope of your new creation? Remind us that we're not citizens of the empires of this earth. Help us not only imagine a world that doesn't know hate, violence, evil, or death, but would you give us the selflessness to be the inbreaking reality of some of that? Jesus, come. Would you take our hard hearts and break them? Use this day to wake us up. And so today we mourn. Tomorrow we act. So come, Lord Jesus, come. of grief.
stand if you're able as we close out today reading our real life benediction together may the bond of peace of jesus christ go with us as we seek to love god as one may he guide us in humility gentleness and patience as we love people as we have been loved may the compassion of jesus christ be in us as we serve the world in word and deed. May he bring us together again, rejoicing as his children as we live in real life with Christ. Go in peace.